Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Good. I'm good. Man, this is, you guys were like in unison back there. It's good. Uh, my name is Peter. I'm the senior pastor here. We're, uh, we're happy that you're with us today. We're continuing in our series called The Creed. Um, and what we're doing is we are taking a slow walk through our statement of faith. Um, and so if you're new to church, a statement of faith is essentially our, our grounding documents, our, theolo- our theology that we will not flex on. And so if you were to go to our website, uh, on the top of the, the, the page there, there's a little section that says, I'm new here. If you were to go down and click what we believe, our entire statement of faith can be found right there. And if you're interested in what we're talking about next week, go right there and go whatever's after the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about um, uh, next week. But, um, but I've been excited walking through this series because um, even as I've talked to a number of people here, talked with my mom, um, who has been a part of her church for, you know, forever. Um, And she even, you know, told me I've never once looked at a church's statement of faith before I go and attend that church or before we went to that church and that sort of thing. And and the reality is, is oftentimes we just kind of think all churches are, are created equally. And well, that church believes the same thing as that church about all of these different things. And the bottom line is just Jesus. So why do we need to worry about anything else? Well, there's a lot of things that distinguish us from other people, right? There's the reasons that we have different denominations that we do. And so we are First Baptist Hanford. Um, and so just going from our name alone, you probably know that we care about the way that we do baptism. Um, and, uh, and different churches believe different things. And so if you have been a Christian or maybe been a part of this church for 30, 40, 50 years, and you've never read our statement of faith, you're welcome for walking through this. You don't have to read our statement of faith anymore. But even if you're brand new, if this is your first week or you've been here for the last couple, couple weeks, this is kind of a, a peek behind the curtain, exactly what it is that we believe on uh, some very, very specific issues. So if you're interested in knowing more about that stuff, you can go read it on our website. So that's one reason uh, I'm, I'm excited about this series. The second is um, what we get to talk about today. Today we're talking about the third member of the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, and as we are talking about this, as, as a, a Baptist church, we, man, we're, we're relatively conservative in our theology. And um, what I've come to find out over the course of my first three and a half going on four years here, as we as people who are more conservative don't like things to change, like at all. Like if something changes, we have an issue, right? Like even if we go from like, I don't know, serving breakfast rolls to serving donuts or switching the type of coffee that we have, like we like order. All of you guys like order in one way, shape, or form as evidenced by your nighttime routine. All of you have a nighttime routine, believe it or not. Uh, Some of your nighttime routine is uh, as simple as you get tired enough, you walk over to the bed or maybe you fall asleep on the couch and you plop into bed, right? Maybe the TV is still on. I don't know. That is your routine. It may not be a good routine, but it is a routine. Now, for others of you, you have like a 20-point skincare routine that you have to put into place before your bedtime routine to make sure that you don't get crow's feet. Names will go unnamed. Um, but all that being said, we like routine, we like order, we like doing things in a very specific 
fashion. And that's okay. Like we enjoy the semblance of, of normalcy and planning ahead to make sure that we don't make dumb mistakes. Specifically as a church, we like to be thought out, even in our personal lives, right? We enjoy that same type of structure. But what can happen if we aren't careful is that our own common sense and our own planning can oftentimes get in the way of the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And again, that's what we're talking about today. So if you're new to faith, hang with us. But if you're old to faith, I know that may sound like an insult. It's not. If you're old to faith, um, this, this piece is directed towards you. A famous theologian, A.W. Tozer, and he says this about the church regarding the Holy Spirit. It's one of my favorite quotes. It says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would stop and everybody would know. So this is actually a pretty big issue, I believe. Right? As actually, many churches in, across America, there seems to be a different type of trinity, and I've said this before, that there seems to be two types of trinity. There seems to be uh, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, but then in oftentimes a lot of churches, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible rather than the Holy Spirit, right? We tend to kind of worship the Bible and think, hey, if we rally around the Bible, we just understand the Bible, we study the Bible enough, then we will know God to the best of our ability. But then I want to draw your attention back to this quote. Because if that's true, we are missing out on, on something that seems to be very, very important to the New Testament church. Okay, even think about, think about this morning. Think about your worship. Think about your prayer. Like Think about your singing. Think about how, how we prayed. Think about even, even your conversations that you had this morning. Maybe you were serving this morning and you were greeting outside. What would happen if we, if the, if we did not have the Holy Spirit? Would Sunday morning, the holiest day of the week, look any different? Would it look any different? Even in church, would it look any different? Would my message today look any different if the Holy Spirit was not a part of this entire gathering of people? Would it look, and, and I would actually agree, probably 95% of what we do would remain unchanged and unnoticed by anybody else in here. Because we like to be planned out. We like to be thought out. We like to have our, our ducks in a row. We like to be fair, control every outcome that we can control. And to be fair, God gave us a brain for a reason, so let's use it, right? But that being said, if this is true, that 90% of what the New Testament church did would completely and totally change, or maybe not even happen at all if the Holy Spirit withdrew, we have a problem. We have a complete and total issue. So I think the church oftentimes falls into one of two categories, okay? Not our church, the capital C church, all churches. Either we don't worship the Holy Spirit enough, which tends to happen in more churches with more conservative theology and that sort of thing, that we don't worship the Holy Spirit enough, or churches can overemphasize or emphasize too much the powerful person that is the Holy Spirit. And both of those camps can be problematic. 
Because any time that we're viewing the Trinity of God through one person of the Trinity, that is an issue. That's a big issue. When I was growing up, I didn't understand the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe you guys are like me. You guys are like, I, don't, I still don't understand the Holy Spirit. And all I knew is that I went to Sunday school and I understood two people of the Trinity very, very well. I understood God because he created the heavens and the earth. And I heard the story about Noah like a thousand times. And they always left out the part where he flooded the earth to kill everybody. But that's what Sunday school teachers do. They pick the good parts. <laughs> Right? So, so I understood God, and God then delivered all of you know, Noah and his family, and there was the rainbow and God's promise and all these things. Like I understood God very, very well. And then I understood Jesus because at the end of every single Sunday school lesson, they'd be like, if you want to invite Jesus to live in your heart, you can pray with us now. Okay? So I understood Jesus because Jesus died on a cross for my sins. So I understood those two members of the Trinity very, very well, at least in the way an eight-year-old mind can understand two members of the Trinity of, of, uh, of God. But then there was like this Holy Spirit that they kept talking about. And I didn't understand the Holy Spirit. One person called it a Holy Ghost, and that freaked me out because everything I know about ghosts living inside of somebody, it's always a bad thing, right? Like it never ends up good in movies, okay? And so like I didn't understand the Holy Spirit. Like I always knew the Holy Spirit was important. I just didn't understand why it was important or what it had to do with me as a person. And then now, how is it that it impacts like the role in the life of the church? And so I hope we can bring some, some clarity to the issue this morning. Like, like any good series, when we walk away, my hope would be that we actually have more questions about it as we continue to walk through. And so I just want to give you a heads up, okay, as if we haven't been heady enough this morning already. We're going to go to school a little bit, okay? I know I try to warn you guys when we're in the classroom a little bit. We're going to go to the classroom for just a little bit in the, this middle section of my message. So prop your eyes open, do whatever you need to do. If you need to grab another cup of coffee, just snap and Jeff will come running, okay? That's not true. No one tried that. Um, but, but then we're going to get to the practical application at the very end, okay? So stick with me for those of you who have a harder time with the, the deeper theology portion. But at FBH, this is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. This is what our statement of faith says. It says, the Holy Spirit is present in the world to make men aware of their need for Jesus, okay? So that's, that's step one, okay? Let's pause there for a second. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to make men aware of their need for Jesus. If you are in here and you have made a profession of faith for Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who made you aware of your need for Jesus, okay? That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. He also lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation, okay? So my Sunday school teachers, they lied to me, Okay, they said I was inviting Jesus to live into my heart. Jesus does not live in my heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and indwells us after we come to faith in Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. He provides the Christian with power, underlying power, for living, understanding of spiritual truth, and guidance in doing what is right. He gives every believer a spiritual gift or gifts when they are saved. As Christians, we seek to live under his control daily. Okay, so there's a couple words there that kind of stick out, this idea of power and control. 
Okay, that, that in order for us to submit to the Holy Spirit, we got to give up control in some way, shape, or form. For some of you, you're like, well, I don't care. I don't have control of my life anyway, whatever. But for others of us, okay, that is a much more difficult truth for us to be able to understand is, is, hold on, I have to let go of control. I have to allow the Holy Spirit to move me and guide me and shape the direction that I am moving in my life. I don't know if I'm okay with that. That's a little bit actually hard for me to come to terms with. Okay, but the good news is it also talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the very creator of the universe, lives inside of all of us. We have that power available to every single one of us. So the idea of giving up control doesn't seem as far-fetched or so difficult when we recognize who it is that we get to give control up to. Okay, a powerful God. Okay, and so maybe you're in the same boat as me when you grew up, or maybe you're still in the same boat as me as you're like, I don't understand this idea of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit, even as part of the Trinity, they're a bit fuzzy. I'm a bit fuzzy on those, those details and don't know how it's supposed to be incorporated into my walk with Jesus, or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where you don't even know the Holy Spirit was God. And all of this is, is news to you. But regardless of where you stand, my hope is that we can get to, to some, some clarity. Because there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of assumptions about the Spirit. Okay? Uh, uh, some of them are, are, are like I mentioned above. He's just like a ghost or like, like a power of some sort, kind of like the force in Star Wars, right? Some of you have probably heard that metaphor before, or you haven't heard it, but now you can't get it out of your head just because you like Star Wars and you're thinking about Mandalorian, right? Like whatever it may be, okay? But, but, but the, like those things ultimately fall short of who the Holy Spirit is, and who the Holy Spirit is, has some of these things have to do with different denominational beliefs about the Holy Spirit. Things like speaking in tongues, right? Things like healing, spiritual gifts, things like prayer languages. The deeper we get into it, the oftentimes we get more and more uncomfortable because we don't completely understand it. And it's outside of our control and it's outside of our traditions. And that's hard for us. So let me, let me be clear. I firmly believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in miracles. I believe miracles still happen. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that it is available to all of us who have called Jesus our Savior. Why? Not because I've been a part of any of those things, not because I have spoken in tongues, not because I have cured anybody of anything or the Holy Spirit through me, but because the Bible tells us it's true. And so we go back to week one in our message or week one in our series, rather. Week one, we talked about the Bible. And I told you that unless we can get on common ground regarding what it is that we believe about the Bible, the rest of this series is going to be difficult. Because all of our, like, like everything that we have, all of our evidence for every single piece of things that we believe comes from Scripture. So if we don't agree on Scripture, these things are going to be difficult. Regardless, though, my hope would be that, that, that we as a church, that we wouldn't merely know about the Holy, Holy Spirit, but we would be a church who relies on the Holy Spirit to guide us and allow us to be one, uh, of one mind and one love as we do our best to, to serve our community for Jesus. And that's not an easy thing to do. 
Okay, so let's, let's get in the classroom, okay, because I know all of, some of you are already glazed over, okay? Get, wake back up. We're going into the classroom. So in order to understand the Holy Spirit better, we have to understand the Trinity better. Did a message about this three weeks ago. Go back and listen to that message, but I'll give you a brief synopsis of the Trinity, okay? What we have to understand first and foremost is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God, okay, um, and all of them are equal, and all of them are deserving of our worship and obedience. That's important to note. So again, all of us have an easier time recognizing God and Jesus as God, right? We're like, oh, that's God, and that's God's Son. Yeah, they're both God, okay? And we oftentimes think of like the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just kind of like God's powers. Like God like shot some powers at us, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, the Holy Spirit is God. And so oftentimes you think, oh, God is the one who is in charge, obviously, because he's the one with the long flowing hair and he sits on a golden throne up in the clouds. Like that's, he's obviously the guy who's in charge. None of that's biblical, by the way. And then we think of Jesus, his son, he came and he walked on earth and all of those, those things. But all of them are perfectly equal to one another. And that, that is seen as each of them play a role in creation. So let me lay this out for you a little bit, right? God created everything. We're going to go back to Genesis 1 in just a second. God created everything, all of creation. And oftentimes that's where we stop. We think, oh yeah, God created. Genesis 1 tells us, we can even read it, that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the water. So you think to yourself, hold up, yeah. God created the heavens and the earth. However, God actually created everything through Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that. So he created everything through Jesus, but hold on, where's the Spirit? He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Without each of them in this process, in this building process of creation, it breaks down. Let me give you an example. If you have someone who was an architect, like you want to build something, right? There's a sweet, vacant plot of land in Hanford somewhere. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to build something cool there, a really cool building. And you think, okay, there's a plot of land. Perfect. Also, I have an architect. Great. So I've got plans. I've got a space, but I've got no one to complete the work. You really just have a good idea, right? Or, or if you have someone to build something and you have the the, like like the, the, the plot of land to do it, but you don't have an architect, someone to tell you the direction of where you're going, you may as well be my kids building a blanket fort in the living room, right? And they're like, hey, let's see if this pillow holds this blanket. It doesn't. It's not going to work, right? Or, or if you have a plot of land and an architect and no one to do the building, again, you just kind of have a good idea. So all of them are necessary in order to accomplish creation. And so this picture in Genesis 1, it allows us to see that the Holy Spirit was not only active and present during the creation of the world, but he was intimately close with creation and the process that was put forth. So we need to come to terms with the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is indeed God. He is the same God as Jesus. He is the same God as the Father. And I'm not going into more depth than that with the Trinity. I confused you all enough three weeks ago. But for our study today, we need to walk, around, walk away 
with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is God, not a God, not a little God that does what the boss God tells him to do, but simply the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, so that's where we need to start with. Holy Spirit is God. But then we got to figure out, man, what do we call the Holy Spirit? Like we call him a ghost, we call him a spirit, we call him a mist, we call him a vapor. Like what does he even look like? Okay, the Holy Spirit is consistently referred to in Scripture as he. We refer to him as a person with a male pronoun. So you can talk about the Holy Spirit as a he. And I know that's hard for some of you because even as we were reading this verse in Genesis 1-1 where it talks about the Spirit of God as hovering over the waters, right? You guys were like imagining some like floating blanket over the waters like doing a bat ray thing as he's like gliding around. Okay? This is the Spirit of, like this is a person of the Holy Spirit, and so we can call him a, a he. But the, the Holy Spirit is hard for us to think about as a person, right? Going back to the first two members of the Trinity, talking about God and Jesus. Those are easy for us to imagine as people, right? We talk about God again with his strappy sandals and his long flowing white hair on his golden throne up in the clouds. Like, okay, yeah, I can see him as a person. Or Jesus who walked around on earth, again, with the strappy sandals theme, but with the dark brown straight hair, obviously a blue sash with a white tunic on underneath and bright blue eyes, which was totally appropriate for the culture that he was born into, right? Like, like, the, like we can at least imagine them as people. We can see them as, as persons, and we have a harder time with the Holy Spirit. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit of more as a what than we do as a who, and so we're going to take some time to find who the Holy Spirit is in relation to the other two members. But, but, but a person is defined, a person is defined as someone who has knowledge, feelings, and a will. And that's actually what, what is stated of the Spirit. John 14, 16 through 18, it says this about the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking. He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another counselor capital C, counselor, talking about the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, capital S, Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, if the spirit was only a power, in this sense, it would, it would, the, the promise would actually be more like compensation, right? When Jesus is talking to disciples, he's about to leave, and Jesus is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a counselor. I'm going to send a he. I'm going to send him over and over and over again. If it's just like a power or something like that, it would be more like, hey, I'm going to leave, but don't worry. I'm going to, I'm going to compensate you for leaving. Here's 100 bucks each. Right? It would seem more like compensation than it would be for somebody else to come and take them and counsel them and love them and shepherd them and guide them. But the Spirit's not merely a power. He's not a thing which is being given, but another divine personality, a personality who has knowledge, a personality who knew the disciples' needs. He knew the disciples' feelings. He knew that, that he could identify with them in their distress. He could allow them to show the will of God. He will determine to, to comfort them as they continue to fulfill the Lord's work. So the Spirit is a person, 
And again, you can refer to the person as a he. I will say this, okay, there has been debate about this over the last couple thousand years, so I'm sure we'll get to the bottom of it this morning. Okay, but there has been some debate over this, and it actually, as more liberal theology continues to come into play, there's more and more chatter about whether or not the Holy Spirit should be referred to as a he or a her. Okay? So just to be clear, most theologians, by most I mean the vast majority of theologians who study this as their work, okay, agree and are comfortable with the Spirit being referred to in the masculine form. Okay, grammatically, there are some, some hiccups in the Hebrew and the Greek. And I don't use hiccups to like downplay it, but there are, they are hiccups in the Hebrew and Greek regarding the pronoun used. But most of it comes, comes down to translating from one language to another. Okay? And so there's just some, sometimes that languages don't seem to mesh. So just as a side note, okay, as you're in your conversations today and like the football game gets boring and you're like hey let's talk about the holy spirit because i know you guys are all going to do that when the 49ers are destroying the rams later i had to sneak it in i'm sorry i had to sneak it in at some point okay um but as you're doing that you can talk you can say he but regardless of the pronoun we need to know who he is and we already know that he was active and he was present in the midst of creation. But beyond that, we need to understand the Holy Spirit possesses the same attributes as God. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the attributes of God as we kind of talked about his character. If you were here, you maybe, maybe remember that. So, so there's two types of attributes. There's attributes that are called communicable attributes, and there are attributes that are called incommunicable attributes. So communicable attributes would look a lot like Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? All of those things are things that, that, that God allows us to embody. So when it talks about we are made in the image of God, part of that is his communicable attributes, that we are able to have those same traits as God. Not all the attributes are as fluffy and as fun as that. Things like wrath, justice, and jealousy are also communicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes are the other attributes, the attributes that God alone can have, that we don't have those, and they are reserved for, for the triune God. That's another word for, for Trinity. Things like immutability, so it does not change. Okay, things like um, omniscience, so he knows everything. Omnipresence, he is everywhere. Okay? The Holy Spirit has all of these same attributes that God has. Okay, they are not different attributes. So not only does the Holy Spirit kind of possess communicable attributes, but he has the incommunicable ones as well, which is more evidence for us that the Spirit is on equal footing with God and Jesus when it comes to stature. Okay, but, but maybe more important than all of this, okay? So that's mostly classroom for you. So you guys can wake up now, okay? But maybe more important than all of this is the role of the Holy Spirit. Like, why is the Holy Spirit important? How does the Holy Spirit work? Yeah, like, much like, like when you're meeting someone for the first time, like you have to sit by him on a plane, you're sharing an armrest, you're three inches away. Like, you want, to, you want to understand, what is your job? Like, that's usually a jumping off point for getting to know someone a little bit, little bit better. So, so what does the Holy Spirit do? And we ask that about the Holy Spirit. We have to under, understand that his role has actually deferred slightly. So the Holy Spirit had one role 
from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time, all the way up to Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, for the first time, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt believers for the first time ever. Indwelt, lived within them, sealed them forever, and did not leave after Acts chapter 2 for believers. Okay, that's what Pentecost is. Before that, the Holy Spirit, man, he had a very specific role. The Holy Spirit would come on to people temporarily, active word there, temporarily to achieve the will of God until it was completed, and then he would leave. So he would not stay with that person. The Holy Spirit would temporarily come to that person to accomplish his will. Okay, Judges 13, 25 kind of comes to mind when it talks about the, the birth of Samson. You guys remember Samson, another guy with long flowing brown hair, really, really yoked. Woman was the downfall of his life. I'm sure it's not applicable today, okay? But Samson, it says this in Judges 13, 25, as he grew up, the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, okay? And as you continue to read that story, you recognize that the spirit of the Lord eventually leaves him as well, okay? Numbers 24, it's talking about Balaam, okay? Here's a guy that God couldn't get his attention except through his donkey, and okay? It's really, really, really good jokes about that. Actually, I, when I was uh, in high school, we had a Bible study, and our youth pastor called us Balaam's donkeys. It's like, I think that's a compliment, but I'm not sure. Um, anyway, so Balaam, he's talking to, his donkey's talking to him, but it says, the Spirit of God came on him and spoke his message. This is a temporary thing. Okay, that, that's the operative word here, and the difference between the Spirit's role before Pentecost and after Pentecost is whatever he did, he did it temporarily in order to accomplish his will. Then we would draw from the individual once the job was done. In the New Testament, after Pentecost, upon accepting salvation of Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into the family of God, causing the believer to be permanently indwelled forever. That's the theological term of being sealed by the Spirit. As once the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, it will not leave. It has taken up residence in your life. But simply stated, and the way we say it to our kids now, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you and not leave you ever, right? So there's plenty of scripture to support this. 1 Corinthians 6.19 is one of them, where it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Yeah, last I checked, a temple kind of like a house, a residence, a place where people take up residence and they stay. Hey, it doesn't say that your body is a vacation rental in Cayucas or anything like that. It says, no, your body is a temple. It is the permanent residence for the Holy Spirit. And again, that may sound strange to some of you who are new to faith, but the Holy Spirit is living inside of you right now, is active in the lives of believers through counseling, through teaching, through intercessory prayer, through the expression of the spiritual gifts that he has given you. He has a role to play. Just as the Father laid out the plans, Jesus provided an avenue for each of us to have a relationship with God. The Spirit should be active in our lives in a very real way. So, what does that mean to us? Why does any of that matter? Why does our belief about the Holy Spirit, why does our theology about the Holy Spirit even matter? 
as the Holy Spirit, in short, should be, should be alive and active in our lives in a very real way. Because I would hate for you to walk away from here and be like, so what? So what? Like I learned all of that head knowledge and most of it I kind of slept through and I kind of understand it, but why does that actually impact my life? I think the so what for us this morning really needs to be on our acknowledgement of the powerful or of the power, rather, and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Both the power and the role in our lives as we recognize him as God. It's not some like random mystical force. It's not even an it. Did you guys catch I said it? Like it's not even a he is not some random mythical force. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who is there to help us navigate our everyday lives. The Holy Spirit should help us discern between right and wrong. The Holy Spirit should should help you read scripture in a way that illuminates passages you may not have understood before. Have you guys heard about this theological concept of illumination? It blew my mind when I was going through school. It's one of my favorite things ever because I, I have an easy time reading my Bible. I have a difficult time praying. Anybody in that camp with me? Can we just all be honest here for a second? Cool. Three of you. Awesome feel real good about myself now. But that's like the harder part for me, right? And so I always thought, man, unless I'm praying, unless I'm like really, really good at prayer, I'm never going to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I'm never going to have the Holy Spirit really speak to me. And then as I was going through seminary, I was taught this thing called illumination. And it's nothing magical you have to do, and it's not a special type of LED or anything like that. It's, it's have any of you guys like read through the Bible, like on it, like consistently, like you like, yeah, I've re- I read the Bible for a year every year, or maybe more practically. Any of you ever read through Genesis every January, right? I know some of you are like, yeah, I, I mean, I try to, but I just end up reading through Genesis in January. So maybe you've read through Genesis 12 times for 12 years in a row, and then on, on, on your 13th time, for whatever reason, you read a verse and you're like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. Like I, like, I never understood that verse to mean that before. Like, I just kept, kept glazing over it like I was reading the book of Numbers for some reason, right? Like, like, like no, I, like I read that, and, and not only does it make sense, more sense today, but it also, it also applies to my life today in a very, very real way. You know a really cool thing? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit illuminating right? That's the the magical word, illumination. That's the Holy Spirit illuminating that verse for you to make practical application in your life. And man, that changed everything for me. Because it went from like this theoretical, like floating bat ray over the waters to all of a sudden like the Holy Spirit is actually like alive and active in my life as I am pursuing the word of God in a very, very real way way. And like that's just that's just one one small piece of what the Holy Spirit does. Like the Holy Spirit should prompt you about conversations that need to be had. Like the Holy Spirit should should help you pray prayers that need to be prayed. Should help you understand things that that need to be done. All right, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians talks about this. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is when you come into the family of God, you become, uh, you, you get saved, right? But the Holy Spirit also gives you spiritual gifts, right? If you don't know what, what spiritual gifts are, they're in 1 Corinthians. 
I think 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, but, but in, like, in those sections, even if you're like, yeah, I've read those, I still don't know what I am. Take a spiritual gifts, gifts assessment. They're all over the place online. They're not super reliable, but it might point you in the right direction. I don't know. Okay, but look at those, and you're like, hey, I'm actually really good at that. Cool. Okay, so the Holy Spirit gives different gifts, and the purpose of those gifts is not just so like we can be really good at something. The purpose of those gifts actually says in 1 Corinthians is for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what the role of spiritual gifts are. So maybe one of your spiritual gifts is administration. Okay? Some of you in here are like, hold up, that's a spiritual gift? Yep. Man, the Holy Spirit is so good at helping us organize stuff. Thank you. Okay? But maybe that's you. And if you are not utilizing your spiritual gift of administration to help build up the body of Christ, then the body is lacking. The body hurts because you're not using it. And maybe you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And maybe this is a dry season for you right now and you are not talking to people about Jesus. The body of Christ hurts because you are not utilizing that spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. There's a time in my life where I ran away from ministry. I was 26 years old. We were young. We, uh, we had two kids under the age of two. We were exhausted, and we felt like, hey, you know, any, anything that we can do to just get like a normal schedule, because if you've ever been a part of ministry, you recognize a normal schedule isn't really a thing. And so we were like, you know what? I'm going to run away from ministry. And I think it was like two months that the Holy Spirit allowed me to be out of ministry, because my spiritual gift is, is, is teaching. Like, that's one of my main spiritual gifts. And so it was like, hold on, I am, I am actively hurting the body of Christ if I am not utilizing those spiritual gifts. Or maybe, you have, maybe you've heard of the, the miraculous gifts that makes, makes some of us in here feel uncomfortable. Don't make it feel uncomfortable. The Bible talks about them. Okay? The idea of speaking in tongues, the idea of miracles, the idea of prophecy... Okay, all of those different things that it mentions. Okay, if you aren't utilizing those things to build up the body of Christ, you're hurting the body. I know everybody's always curious about tongues. Okay, let me tell you my interaction that I've had with tongues. Okay, my dad actually spoke in tongues. I know that weird some of you out. You're a Baptist pastor? I know. <laughs> my dad spoke in tongues. Okay, and, and so my dad, he was in high school. And he went on a missions trip down to Mexico. And while he was in Mexico, uh, his pastor asked him to preach to this church. And so there's all of the missions group, like the group that will meet later on today. And then there's also this church with all Spanish speakers in it. And my dad had a translator up there with him. And so my dad started talking and noticed the translator wasn't translating anything. And so my dad just kept talking, and he just figured, well, I guess the translator's not going to translate anything. I guess this is a message for all the English speakers in the room. And my dad got off the stage. Everybody in there who spoke the native tongue of Spanish heard my dad speaking in Spanish. Everybody whose native tongue was English heard my dad speaking in English. It wasn't a one-time thing. He went back down again. Same exact thing happened. I believe in tongues, and I believe in tongues for the building up of the body of Christ. God used that, the Holy Spirit used that to bring more people into the body of Christ to show the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And if we ignore those things, the things that the Holy Spirit has gifted us with, and then also ignore the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do those things, we're actively hurting the body of Christ. And that's not helpful. That's not good. So if you're an administrator, man, organize something for the body of Christ, please. Okay, if, you're, if you're an encourager and you're sitting in the back row and you take off before you get a chance to talk to anybody or hug somebody, and I know some of you are huggers because you chase me around and I don't like it. But if you're an encourager and you're not actively encouraging people, okay, you're hurting the body of Christ. If you're an evangelist and you're not talking about Jesus with people, you're hurting the body of Christ. Okay, the Holy Spirit provides us with the tools necessary to accomplish God's plan on earth in a very, very real way. And God's plan on earth is to love him, it is to love people, and it is to serve the world. It's not just a pithy statement that we put on the wall that it's like, oh yeah, remember this, remember our church. That's scripture. Two greatest commands, love God and love people. And the Holy Spirit, with the giftings that he has, allows us to do those things. Right? What would it look like if, if as individuals, rather than on leaning on our own understanding, that we consulted the creator of the universe who has taken up residence inside each and every one of us to guide us in our daily steps, to help us to build up the body of Christ, to guide our conversations, to encourage us when we've been put through the ringer, to simply sit in silence and allow us to just listen to the Spirit of God in our lives. Like, we would, can we just agree that we would be dumb to not take God up on that? But we all do it every single day? Can we just agree that we're dumb then? No, we don't have to do that, okay? But, but legitimately, like, that is what we are actively ignoring in our lives. If we choose not to worship the Holy Spirit, if we choose to ignore his role in our lives. But if we decided to just, just allow the Holy Spirit to, to have control of our lives, to, to, for, for the power of the Spirit to just work in us, we would have a group of individuals that would much more closely resemble the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that allows us to move and look more and more like Jesus in our lives, that that's what the church should look like. That the church should look like love, like peace, like patience, like all of those different things. And that should be at work in the lives of the individual as well. You want to know if the Holy Spirit's been at work in your life since you said yes to Jesus? Think about your life before you came to Christ. Think about who you were. Think, and, and if you go back to Galatians 5 and read the fruit of the Spirit if you want to. Okay, but think about how loving you are. Think about how joyful you were. Think about how peaceful you were. Think about how patient you were. And that may be different based on if you had kids or not at the time, but just to be fair. Okay, but run through that list and compare them to where you're at now. Compare them, compare them to, to hey, it, like, like, have I grown at all? Has the Spirit been at work in my life at all from before I knew Jesus till now? And my hope would be that you've grown. My hope would be that you are more loving, that you are more peaceful, that you are more patient, 
that you are more all of those things. And if you're not, maybe you're more bitter. Maybe you're more backbiting. Maybe you gossip more. I don't know, wherever it is that you may land, my guess is, is the Holy Spirit is not as active in your life as maybe you think he is. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit allows us to look more and more like Jesus every single day. And as the Holy Spirit acts, and as the Holy Spirit moves, that's how we become to look like a church that people want to be a part of. That people come in and think, why does that church look different? Because the church doesn't look like us. The church looks like God. The church looks like the Holy Spirit as he makes us look more and more like Jesus every single day. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, God, thank you for your role in our lives. God, we... uh, I'm, I'm just in awe of the fact, Father, that, that you have allowed yourself to take up residence in us, that, that, that you were just like, yes, I want to be a part of, of my believers, of my followers' lives in a very real way, and not because you had to, but because you wanted to, to allow us to draw closer to you so we look more like your son through the power of your spirit. And so, Father, I pray this morning for for those of us who maybe have a difficult time with the role of the Holy Spirit, that you would just open our eyes to to where he's working in our lives. And maybe if you're you're new here, new to faith, or you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, and you're like, I want want to, to have the power, like the power of the living God inside of me and and I want to repent of my sins and and I want to be part of that family like if that's you today and you've never made a profession of faith you can just follow along with me now pray in the quietness of your heart say father a I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I repent of those sins I want to turn from those sins but b I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me who conquered death so I could be with you forever and see I choose to follow you every single day which fully and totally depends on the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, go before me. Take control of my life and utilize your power to make your kingdom known. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.